Oh, now that is interesting. I wonder what tuition is at the, at the College of Valor. I have been meaning to update my skill set. Oh, hello there. My name is Rogan Anvilsong, and uh, you caught me in a little bit of light reading. Pardon, pardon me as I, I settle myself down here a little moment. Uh, I believe you've come here to talk about a thing that they're calling Bardic Theology. I'm not... I am a bard. That's that's true for certain. I'm not much for theology. I tend to leave that to the clerics. I met a god once. Nice fella. But, uh, not really my thing. So, what I'm going to tell you about is a little bit about stories. Because I believe that stories are powerful, magical things. Now, you might be saying, that's easy to say for a gentleman whose sole profession is using stories to actually evoke magical power. But I'm telling you, there's more to it than that. There's more to story than what you can get out of it. What it does, it connects us. See, when someone's willing to give you their story, that's a gift of the highest order. A story given is somebody literally opening themselves up to invite you into their life. They're taking a small section of, of who they are as a person, what they've seen, what they've done. They want to share that with you. The ability to do that with another person. I don't got words for that. And that's saying something because I got lots of words. The ability to do that also, uh, to give that, that, that is a powerful freedom. You, it's scary as all get out, don't get me wrong, but there's a powerful freedom in the ability to, to put yourself out there. To say, this is who I am, this is, this is what makes me function. This is what I care about, this is what I don't care about. Letting somebody walk around in that, that's where the real things are. Because there's stories that you just hear, there's stories that the words kind of happen. And you just kind of let them roll and they move past you and they, they just they're like a, like a, like a, like a fart in the wind. The real stuff though, is when you, you really dig in deep, you get into the meat of things and then the words start becoming bigger. The words start becoming like, like a powerful seasoning on a good steak. They change you. They change who you are. They change the person that you're talking to. Stories have the ability to go beyond the words on the paper. Beyond the words of presentation. Stories are iron bounds that link us together and make us something bigger than we are. So, if you're willing to put yourself out there, to get into those stories, to connect yourself with other people, you do that enough, and before long, there's nothing that can stop you. And you have gathered together a group of people that are downright a force to be reckoned with. Because you are one. And I got to tell you, there's no magic in any plane that I've been to. 
that can impress me as much as that can. So there's going to be another fella that's going to start talking to you soon. Uh, he's a good man. I've met him before. He's a lovely person uh, for a human. I, I would really say that I hope that, that he can fill in some of the gaps between what I'm saying and, uh, and the whole theological stuff. It's more his game. But I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you what I tell so many other people. You are a dwarf bard. And you can't let anyone call you suboptimal. Because you're something special. As soon as somebody's going to get a chance to see it. Have a good night. I hope the other guy treats you well. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Oh, I love this thing. Uh, I love wearing it, but it is incredibly hot. If you ever want to experience really accessible cosplay, talk to Madeline, Madeline Turnipseed. She made this for me, and it's it's wonderful. And I use it at conventions all the time, but it is incredibly hot. And <laughs> I don't recommend it lightly in a, an attic with no air conditioning. Uh, anyway, my name is Mike Perna, in case you didn't see me uh, yesterday in this very track of LTNCon. Uh, I'm the president of Inroads Ministries, and we use board games and role-playing games to help people build relationships that demonstrate the love of God. Today, I'm here to talk to you about what I've termed as bardic theology, and you probably have no concept of what that means, because while it's something that I've thought about for a really long time... I didn't even come up with a term for it until I had to come up with a title for this. So I I'm really hoping that you're going to, you can walk with me in a little bit for this because for some of you, this might be uncomfortable. If you care more about the mechanics of role-playing systems than the characters of role-playing systems, I'm going to challenge you to, to do something that might be really weird for you. If you are old hams like me, and really want to get into character and really enter into story and can have an amazing time at the role-playing table without a single act of, of skill sets and, and uh, testing your dice or let alone combat, if you can have fun just talking to people, this is, this is going to be right up your alley. But uh, the long and the short of it is that I've spent years role-playing. Before I even role-played, I did acting, which also asks you to step into a character, step into a story, uh, learn what that character is about, not just the words that you're saying, but why they're saying them, what their tone is. Part of the reason why I did the whole Drogon thing is not just a framing device, it's also because I'm going to talk a lot about... Uh, the kind of conversations I had with Drogon, the, the, I don't know, the, the journey that we went on together, uh, because that character and I have, have seen some things and it, he, he is probably responsible for a lot of the reason that I still go by the title of Bard in a lot of the different social media and stuff like that. Uh, I literally 
I'm wearing a shirt called Your Resident Dwarf Bard, and it's all because of Drogon. So we've been through some things. I really can't say can't state hard enough that playing Drogon has affected the way I read my Bible. And it's not because of anything the character did. It's literally the act of playing him. The act of stepping into him. And, and all the characters I've done before him, uh, he was just the most profound experience I had with it. And I'm, I'm going to put this out here. I'm really hoping that through the, the course of this talk, this might seem like a process you want to enter into as well. Because I'm always a proponent of story. I'm always a proponent of really digging into all the facets, not just of what's presented to you, but what happened to lead up to what's presented to you, what exists in the margins of what's presented to you. And being able to take those skills and bring that into my Bible reading has been a fascinating development. And I want to invite you into that. So we're going to start off talking about the process that I use a lot to getting into role-playing games as a character-driven mindset. Then we're going to, to transition that into how we can apply that to the reading of our Bible as well. And it has everything to do with questions. Whenever I sit down to play a character, I always ask them questions. What do you want? Not just, you know, what's the goal of this particular campaign. I'm saying, what do you want as a person? What are your aspirations? What do you like that has nothing to do with how hard you swing your hammer or uh, how effective you are at throwing a fireball? What do you like? What do you aspire to? That can be a powerful experience. Drogon's whole cadence, that kind of light, airy conversation that we just had, that's him. But at the same point, there's there's a quietness to him, even that I hope, I, I've spent, I've now spent, wow, it, wow, I've spent years doing that voice, making, I'm, pardon my terrible brogue, I, I call it dwarven, uh, it's not Scottish, it's not Irish, it's not anything, really, it's dwarven. And uh, I've spent so long doing this that I hope that you can even catch a little bit of that, that sullenness because I asked Drogon what he wanted. What does he care about? And the answer came back as family. Because the, in, in the meta-narrative, he was a Pathfinder character. And Pathfinder, I looked up how to do bards. Like, I looked up bardic class guides, and they're like... Elves, humans, gnomes, these are awesome ways to do this. Dwarf, don't do it. It's not worth it. The numbers don't make sense. I, I honestly looked up like half a dozen different guides. They all said the same thing. Why bother playing a dwarf bard? And so that meta fed into him, and it became the idea. Uh, I actually cited it once as I was talking about it, and I said, I asked Drogon uh, who he was, what he was about, and it was almost as if he looked up at me from his character sheet and said, Did you ever have anybody tell you that you're not good at anything before you've even had a chance to do it? I did. And it sucks. When somebody thinks you're going to fail before you've even set foot on the road. 
What can you do but live up to that? His whole story became that. His whole story became a search for family because his father disowned him because he chose family over his responsibilities. Family being air quotes. He chose his friend over his responsibilities. He went looking for family and that became his everything. Even his skill sets. He took spells that humiliated the proud and protected his friends because he didn't want anyone to think that they were better than him. And he didn't want anyone. And he would, he would face death itself than see his friends hurt. All of this I got from asking him questions, sitting down with that character sheet, sitting down with this character concept and asking questions over and over again. Tell me about yourself. Likewise, you ask questions of the group that you're in. Uh, I, the term that I use for that is one that I borrowed from a podcast called Fear the Boot. It's called the group template. The idea to take a big concept and kind of boil it down into its smallest part. The group template is why do your characters like each other when there isn't a job or when the world isn't ending? Why do they care about each other? Why do they work? And asking those questions can give you a lot of insight because maybe you don't work well with another person, but at the same point, there's something about your relationship that you don't just cut bait. So you have this tension there. But at the end of the day, you're still playing a game with your friend and that character is is being played by your friend. So how do you stay at the table? Because if you can't stay at the table with that person, man, that's going to be awkward in real life and it's going to end your game session really fast. So you start asking, how do they get along? What is their relationship? What What is the meat of that? Why, why do they function? If they do function and everything's great, then explore that a little bit. Ask questions about that. All this won't, you know, make your gameplay, but it will deepen it. It will expand the concept of who your character is and where they fit in the world. And that's that's another question to ask. Ask the setting questions. This is especially true in games where you're in big cities with political machinations. If you're in Waterdeep and you're not have asking questions about how you fit in the overall schemings of the city, you might as well put yourself in any other city. Waterdeep is a is a weird you know, weird kind of animal, but that's just the big name. You can put yourself in anywhere in any game system. And if you're in a big enough city, something that's happening on the other side of town will impact how you play your game and how your character lives. You you can choose to not pay attention to that, but if you pay attention to that, that can give a depth and richness to your game. And the question that I really enjoy asking, and this is both when I am this person and when I'm playing with this person, I ask the DM questions. Because the DM often kind of gets the, the because they're playing the game, or because they're running the game, the DM is often you know just seen as apart from the game, kind of standing above it. But the DM is a player too. 
even though they're running the NPCs, even though they're they're setting the the framework of the story, they're a player too, and they have expectations, they have desires. Ask your DM what kind of tone they're looking for. If they want a deep political thriller and you guys are doing cartoon shenanigans, that's not going to work. Ask your Asking the DM what, what they want out of these scenes, what they want out of these characters, asking them stuff about the NPCs that they've created, the... You know, the the deep machinations that they've created. All this stuff helps not just the game as a, as, a, as a whole, but also can inform what your character is like, what your story that you're playing out looks like. So what does any of this have to do with reading your Bible? The answer that I've discovered is everything. Because so much of our Bible is story. You know, a lot of times the ones we end up quoting are letters, but so much of our Bible is story, whether that's prophetic story or historical stories or just the, every gospel is a story. And even the stuff that is more didactic, a.k.a. the stuff that, that just is there to teach or to instruct even that has a story underlying each and everything. So even the stuff that is more blatant, do this, don't do that, or I would do this, or there was this thing over here, even that stuff all has story wrapped up and around and through it. So what happens when you start asking these same questions about biblical texts? Ask questions of the characters within the story. What do you want right now? What do you care about? What are you feeling in this moment? What does that... What? I'll give you the, the one that is, is always my go-to. There have been so many times when I have read the story of Pete getting out of the boat and walking towards Jesus. And the very first question I ask is, Pete, what does that water feel like? What does it feel like to step out on water that is is whipping up with waves and have it be solid? That simple question drastically changed the way I saw that, that story. Asking Pete what the water felt like really brought home to me just how weird that moment is. And it also drove home something else when I started asking questions of the group. When I said, is Pete even the main focus here? Is Pete the one getting spotlight in this scenario? And the answer I came up with is no. Pete in spite of all the times I've been taught this and all the times I've studied this passage, Pete is not the focus of that story. Jesus is the focus of that story. So many people want to tell me that the accident of Peter getting out of the boat and taking his eyes off of Jesus is a, is a, a tale about how we shouldn't doubt, how we should keep our focus on Jesus. And that's not the story that I get when I ask these questions of these characters, when I remember that they are people in these narratives, what I got was God calling Pete to enter into something utterly unnatural. 
And when he failed, Jesus was there to catch him. The question of why do you doubt is not in, in that particular moment. It's not like tisk tisk. How dare you doubt me? It's I'm showing you things that are crazy. I've asked you to do something utterly unnatural. Walk with me in this and I've got you. That is a story about Jesus, not about Peter. And I got that by asking questions of the characters. I asked questions about the group. And I asked questions about the setting. Because we talk all the time about the historical context of Bible passages, but there are so many times that I have re re reinvestigated that's the word i'm looking for reinvestigated bible passages where i refuse to just accept the the histories and the chronologies that have been given to me and i really dig into the the words of the passages the the associated texts especially when you're talking about things like like that's going on during the acts of the apostles um when you're going through the historical books and really looking into all the stuff that's happening around these stories. I love talking about the birth of Jesus because that story, the stuff that leads up to the birth of Jesus, that stuff is nuts. The, the, the vibes and the feelings of what could happen there when you look into that setting and then see the choices that these characters make in light of the stuff that's that's in the background that it gives you this whole deep punch of a moment and then i start asking questions of the dm i start asking god when i read these passages what do you want here what sort of story are you telling us? What are we supposed to feel here? I'll give you the example to kind of close up. Uh, I do I do, do a podcast called The Barden Bible, and uh, I recently asked patrons uh, from Patreon, I said, I want to do a book of the Bible story by story. So not doing every verse, but, you know, hit every major story. I just want to walk through one. It's going to take me a while. So I want to ask you, what book should I do? And they picked Genesis. So I'm starting off reading some of the stories that have been told over and over and over again to the point that I knew most of the stories of Genesis before I even really became a Christian, just because kind of got them through osmosis. And then I realized something. I started asking God, what type of story are you writing here? And I started looking at the literary stuff and I go, oh, so this is creation myth. And I'm not, I, myth can be a loaded word. Basically the idea, literarily speaking, is, is that this is a story about God interacting with us, not about us with him. And so framing it that way, I go, oh, okay, so let me ask questions of God in this moment. 
And I got a whole new perspective on how God saw the fall, how God saw Cain and Abel. Because in these first couple stories, when you see just the world breaking and the, the results of the world breaking, I kept seeing God interact and asking questions that he clearly knew the answer to. So I go, God, why are you asking these questions? And the result just came back. I love them so much. I didn't want to believe we were as broken as we were, that that relationship could still be saved. And all I wanted was them to own that they did it so we could work on the forgiveness and fix this. And in every case, they didn't. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. Cain talked a great game about that. Oh, you're, the punishment is too much. Then decided to walk right next door and set up shop just to spite God. And in both those cases, you have these, these questions that say, what am I doing? Like, like, why, why can't we just, why, why can't we fix this? Just own this. Let me bring about forgiveness. I have it in me to bring about forgiveness. And there will be people who will hear me say that and say, oh, but what about the idea that, that God knew this was going to be how it happens since before the foundation of the world? And I get that. I don't deny that. But asking these questions would not allow me to divorce the emotion of God in this. A lot of times we don't remember that God is person. God is God, but he's person. He has emotions. And I felt God's heart break. And then when I got to Noah, which I haven't even gotten to on the podcast yet, I'm still in the studying and recording and planning stages of that. When I got to Noah, I realized stuff got different. He stopped asking questions when things went wrong. He just said, I'm done. I'm going to wipe the planet clean. And that's when I realized that when I asked God what this was, the response was, this was when I realized that it was truly and honestly broken. And they weren't going to fix it. They weren't going to take steps to me. So I just had to do something. And in that moment, these stories that I have heard since before becoming a Christian had a whole new impact on me. It reminded me what I had theologically known that God brings about redemption even before the stories of Jesus, that God, you know, God gets a bad rap a lot of the times for in the old Testament, just being about judgment and, and, you know, laying the hammer down, reading these stories in Genesis, where I asked God what he wanted, asked God what he was feeling, asked God, what kind of story are you telling here? I saw a God who was so heartbroken because he loved so dearly and wanted to bring about forgiveness 
even though he knew it was never going to happen. So he basically wiped out the world. And it broke my heart. And it also reminded me that God always cares about us, even when it feels like he doesn't. Even when it feels like he's just coming down hard on us. Look, if you're only playing role-playing games for the numbers and the challenge and the cool dice, I am not going to poo-poo that. You play the game you want to play. However, if you're here and you're listening to this and you want to enter into deep story, ask questions of your characters. Ask questions of your group. Ask questions of your setting and ask questions of your DM. Every answer that you get will deepen, refine, and enrich the stories that you tell. And if you take those stories, and you take those questions, and you apply them to your reading of scripture, I promise you, the words will get deeper and richer. Your experience with God as you ask him questions especially if you give enough space for him to respond. It will take even stories that you have heard dozens of times before and make them new and deep and incredibly powerful. It is bardic magic with a cleric's theology. When you step into that and you, you ask these questions, you can get by without, uh, without asking those questions. You can read the words and have them be experienced. But my challenge to you is to ask and see how those answers change the way you experience all of this. I really hope you've had a great weekend. I really hope that you have a blessed time the rest of this day. And I pray that you take the stuff that you've listened here, both with me and with anybody else, even the take the times that you might have spent on a virtual table playing games with people, that you take that and allow it to set up roots in everything that you do. Thank you for listening. And I meant it when Drogon said, don't let anyone call you suboptimal because God loves you. And he has been saying it since the very first words. <laughs>